Hi guys, in this episode I'm interviewing Fergus. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. You'll like it. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta and Matthias. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Today, I've got my co-organizer and friend Fergus with me. Hey, Fergus. Hi, how are you? Good stuff. So, funny little quick intro on Fergus. So, I met Fergus probably two and a half years ago now at the Financial Independence Meetup in Edinburgh. And then I found out he was actually one of the organizers. And we started chatting. And then at some point, he was like, hey, we want to help me organize the meetup together and see where we can get this going. So quick little intro on how I, me and Fergus met. But yeah, from there, I would like to throw it over to Fergus. Fergus, could you maybe give the audience a very quick rundown of you know, where you are about, uh, how you got in touch with financial independence? Yeah, sure. So just to say on the, on the meetup, I'm very grateful that you came on board. I had uh, My wife and I had twins two years ago. And so at that time, I was had literally no time to manage the, the meetup. And I was very appreciative that you came along and were happy to take over the, the reins for the last two years. And you've done an amazing job building it up to what it is now. So yeah, it's been great working with you on that. Um, my background, I got into FIRE about 10 years ago, something like that. And I started my business about 16 years ago. So I was about 20 years old. I was a student. I had a part-time job at the weekends. And then I had this side hustle and, and the side hustle kind of grew to become to the point where I was making more money than in my part-time job, but I liked my part-time job. So I kept doing it. And as the business grew and, and by the time I graduated and I, I went full time, I always took a low salary because I never felt I needed to, you know, I never needed to increase my living costs. I was kind of okay living fairly frugally. It came naturally to me, but at some point that changed and the business started generating money. And I had this you know, position where, okay, I, I could invest in a pension if I wanted to, or I could take out, you know, a couple of thousand pounds. And, and so this idea of, okay, I've got this money now, what am I going to do with it? And so I, I think my starting point was Googling and learning about how to invest in the stock market or, or ways or things that you can do with money to make the money work for you. And I kind of sum it up where I've got this saying that I like, I don't recall where I heard it, which is, make the money work for you rather than you working for the money. And, and I just like this idea. It's kind of the rich dad, poor dad approach a little bit. You know, it's like, I think of money as a tool and, you know, no workman goes out and sells his tools to make money. He uses his tools to make more, you know? And so that's kind of how I look at it. And, and if you're, if you investigate it a little bit and you find some things, you can just set it off and, and, you know, compound interest and whatever, it just goes away and it, it turns into more money without you even doing anything. And that's such a nice, such a nice idea. Cool, gotcha. So at that point, the business was making money and you're like, okay, I need to invest this. I need to get my pounds, euros, dollars, whatever working for me. And at that point, did you come across like Mr. Money Mustache or like now the, the fire principles? Definitely Mr. Money Mustache. I remember him from, you know, back in the day. I don't think he writes as many blogs these days. I'm pretty sure I still follow his blog on one of the apps, but I don't see many blog posts. But yeah, Mr. Money Mustache and, you know, went back and read a lot of his stuff that he'd written before. And I just, there were fewer UK-based blogs at the time. There's a few more now, which is great. But I just started to learn about, like, what does it mean to, to spend less? Or, you know, for me, the idea of wealth or the idea of being rich is the ability to live 
for a period of time without having to earn. And the longer that time, the richer you are. So if you can live for the rest of your life without having to work, then you know, you're made. And there's obviously two factors to that. There's how much you earn and how much you spend. And so this idea that you can control your spending, you know, that's completely within your control. I think a lot of people, if they have a job, they feel, oh, their earning is out with their control, but their spending is totally within their control and within my control. And and so I had this like, okay, I'm going to anymore because I don't need to. I know that if I pay myself more, I'll probably spend more. And so, you know, let's just not pay myself more. Let's keep my salary low. And then, but let's take these chunks of cash or let's take these, you know, bits of money and see what I can do with them and see what I can invest in. And I like the idea of, you know, investing in the stock market and things like that. These days, I'm much more passive than active, but occasionally I still see stocks and I think, oh, that would be a you know, I feel like that business is going to do well over the next 10 or 20 years. And so it makes sense as a 20 year investment. I think once or twice I've tried to time the market, you know, like, oh, this is high right now. So I'll buy it or this is cheap right now. And and every time I've lost. And and so I just, I, I don't try and gamble, but I would, you know, I would consider active investing in a kind of longer term game where you're making kind of, you're making more of a value-based decision. Like for example, I know Shopify stock is doing really well at the moment, but I feel like Shopify has got a lot more to do in, in space that it's in. And so I can imagine, or even Tesla, you know, Tesla's a really hot stock, I guess, but I feel like Tesla's got a long path still to go and it's just going to become bigger and bigger over the next 10 or 20 years. And so I might consider, you know, investing in those kinds of stocks, even if they're high right now. Do you kind of like have a balance in that in terms of how much you put away each month, each year through the business for your pension and how much you actually just throw into individual stocks or is it more as a see how you go approach so i've got a pension that's um only in efts uh, etfs sorry and or index trackers and that's definitely of my you know it's hard because i can't touch my pension so i don't really think about it so i don't think about it as part of my wealth or whatever because it's kind of locked away but in terms of wealth that i have access to i don't actually have that much you know i bought a thousand pounds of shares in monzo um, two years ago, because I felt like Monzo was was doing well, and I thought, you know, within a few years they might turn into something. I got an email the other day saying that they're worth exactly the same as what I bought them for. They're not they're not publicly traded yet, so they're you know you can only sell them on the second market. But you know, maybe if I, I think Monzo are going through a challenging time at the moment, but if they do well, I think over the next five years or whatever that could be interesting. But yeah, so I've got a thousand pounds here or there, but I've got more than that in my pension that's in uh, index tracker. So I think I would always. I think if I was thinking about it, I would do like 90% index tracker and then 10% to play with or something like that, you know, 10% to have fun with. Gotcha. Just a quick note for everybody who doesn't know who Monzo is. Monzo is a challenger bank, a startup like N26 uh, in the UK, I believe. Also aiming at European markets, Germany in the future. But yeah, just pretty much. Maybe they, they just launched in the US as well. They've, they've gone, gone ahead of the US, which is interesting. Oh, well, but pretty much they are a startup, which right now, since launching the US, I'm not sure if we can still call them a startup at that point, but FinTech company, very cool app. And yeah, personally use them as well, um, but it was a bit too late with investing. Otherwise, I would have probably thrown a bit in myself as well. Okay, so to kind of take it from there, um, but I would also like to ask you, what does financial independence mean to you? Is it about the money? Is it about options? Is it about not working? I think I think it's about freedom and I think it's about control and responsibility so it's it's the idea that my financial situation is within my control and I can choose what I want that to be and what I want that to look like and I think that you know maybe 
before that, the more traditional model is you have a job and, and you spend your most of your salary every month, if not all of it, and you feel a little bit trapped. You've got house payments, car payments, sky payments, you know, whatever. And you you don't feel like you can do anything bigger picture about your financial situation. And so it, it's slightly different for me because I've been self-employed for 16 years. I've never had a full-time job. And so I've never had that kind of dependency on a company for a salary. And I've always kind of felt, well, if I want more money, then I need to make more money. And so that kind of fitted quite nicely with it. But I think I've been quick to learn from from other people writing about their journey to fire. And, you know, some people were so aggressive with it where, you know, for five years they spent nothing and they got their expenses down to, you know, £5,000 a year while maximizing their income. And suddenly they could retire and they realized that there was no happiness there because they'd missed out on all these opportunities. You know, they they didn't go out for that meal or they didn't buy that drink or or whatever. And And so I've also been conscious and my wife has been a big influence in that. You know, she's never bought into it as much in the sense of like save 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 she's much more you know we need to live today as well and so that's quite nice because we balance each other out and we we meet somewhere in the middle which is a bit more of a happy place so i think definitely we're we're financially comfortable and we're we're investing and saving and building our future financially but we're not like at all costs you know hoard money we have three kids and so as soon as you have kids you know it just all goes out the window in terms of you know what you're trying to uh, budget towards yeah but one thing i do want to ask is so obviously i know you run two businesses yourself you're, uh, you're self-employed you've got a reasonably sized team working for yourself and yeah i'm just curious like that life you've built that on itself doesn't that give you many options right now to determine your own time but for example even if i give you 10 million right now would do at the same time yeah i mean that's a really interesting point and you know for sure running your own business you you definitely have freedoms that are easy to take for granted and i do really like it you know i don't have to think about will i work today or won't i work today but the other thing that comes you know from financial independence and what you're talking about there you know if i had 10 million is once you become financially independent what do you want to spend your time doing and and i think we're in this really interesting period at the moment in the kind of western world and in the uk and other parts of the world as well but of lockdown and of people not being able to work and people going, oh, I really wish I was back at work. I really want to be working. And it's not often, I think, that you hear people say that. People are always like, oh, I can't wait for the holidays. Can't wait for whatever, you know, work's such a pain. But if I got, you know, a lump sum of money tomorrow that, that meant that I never had to work again, I would still want to work. There's things that I would want to do because for me, work is a challenge. It, it, it can be enjoyable. It can be, you know, this thing that you're building and or that you're growing or that you're, you know, testing yourself or that you're learning for. And And you can be quite pleased and feel good about the outcome or, or, you know, about something that you've produced. And so I really like that. And I think that I'm definitely enjoying my job at the moment. But just ask, because it's a choice for yourself, right? You could right now go to Italy, do your job from Italy and let it run like that or work less than you do. Yeah, totally. The moment I work three days a week and I have a fourth day that I You know, I usually end up going into the office anyway because I have a workshop there, but I try and spend the time in the workshop rather than doing my main job. And that balance is quite nice for me. I quite like that. You know, I've got three kids that are all young or under four. And so spending time with them right now is really important and particularly because they're not at nursery. Or, um, so I think that, you know, by the time that they're all five and over and they're at school, then it becomes slightly different. Like, you know, maybe I would be in the office five days a week or five mornings a week or something like that. Um, but I think that, you know, we wanted to make the commitment that we want to spend this time with our kids. And so 
think that's seriously cool because it's one of the things I've been thinking about myself. Me and my partner were still a number of years away from kids, but it's going to happen at some point. And I always try to think, oh, I want to prepare for it. I want to be ready. I don't want to be stuck in a job at that point. And I actually want to be able to be home. But the fact that you're able to manage that while having your own business, working three days a week, and not sending your kids to nursery and being there, that, yeah, I generally found it inspiring. And I'm curious, like, okay, how can I get the same done myself at that point to be actually able to be there then? Because I think yeah. that's something many, many parents would wish, but just are not able to get done. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, th thank you. I think that there's pros and cons of all of it, you know, and, and we make sacrifices in some ways and, and you know, we, we get benefits in others. But so over the last sort of five years, um, my wife and I got married, we got a house, we got a dog, and then we had three kids in two years because we had uh, twins. And all of that puts your work into perspective a little bit. And, and you know, so does the COVID pandemic it just puts into perspective what's really important in life and what's not important in life and so for sure we could have grown the business faster or you know we could have done all sorts of things if, if that's what we've been motivated to do and there's no right or wrong there there's just you know what each person wants to do with their time and for us i think that there's time to grow the business more aggressively but you know also what we've achieved in our businesses in the last five years is, is pretty good too and so I think we've managed to strike a nice balance between the two, but don't get me wrong, where both of us really struggled to get any time to work. And, you know, we were, you know, we would be working in the, in the evenings at 10 o'clock at night when we were already tired and, and not sleeping and all the rest of it. And so there has been some challenging times, and, but you know what, the thing, I like to think of everything, you know, like what can you learn from it and, and how can you, how can you adapt and how can you become stronger? So the fact that we had no time to be in the office and no time to do any work means that we've become much, much better at delegating, at leading our team and at helping them to, to, to succeed. You know, when I was in the office five days, I spent five days doing things. Now I'm in the office three days, I spent three days doing things. And, and it's not really about the amount of time, it's about the things that you do, right? It's about, you know, can you spend your time doing the most effective things or the things that you enjoy and, and just cut everything else that really doesn't, isn't important? You know, it's been a great lesson in productivity. One thing I'm recalling from two years back, you told me after we first met again, after you were, uh, you know, obviously taking care of the kids, right? Just that how much more efficient uh, you had become, not by choice, but just by, you know, you got to do it. Otherwise, it just means no yeah. time spending with the kids. And even if you've got no choice, you just make it happen somehow. Yeah, you have to. And and that's one of the interesting things about parenting in general is that, you know, bottom line, the buck stops with you and the things that you didn't think that you could do, you just have to, you have to make it work. You know, we have one night now where, um, you know, we get woken up in the middle of the night and I wake up and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so tired today. And you know, there was, there was months where we were getting, you know, three to five hours sleep a night and I don't know. It just seemed normal. It was like six hours was a great night. And now six hours is a bad night. And so, you know, you, you just get on with it. It's like hangovers when you're 20 and you're going into work or you're going into university or whatever the next day, you just get on with them. Now a hangover and I can't move. You know? True. But I still think it's seriously cool having the option to either work three days a week or not at all if you want to. And it's still something I think about and kind of like, okay, in three, four years, how can I get the same done as you've managed to do yourself at that point? Say, okay, I don't work at all or two or three days when actually something I really passionately care about. Yeah, it's a nice position to be in. But, and, and I think that it's, you know, it's not happened overnight. So 
I started the business when I was a student. And as I said, I was, I think I was about 20 and not long after that. So like maybe in my third year of university, so I had the business for a year or two, I went abroad for a year. And so I had to teach somebody else to run the business for a year. And then I came back for a year and then I went away for six months. And and then again, I got two more family members involved and and they were helping me out running the business for six months. And, you know, one of them said to me, but how do you know this? And I was like, well, you just know. And, and that kind of prompted me to say, okay, you don't just know, you have to write it down. So, so we started off with this procedure manual where we wrote down how we do everything in the business. And so it becomes a kind of a handbook that you can use for training and that you can use to delegate because you can say, okay, you want to know how to do X it's written down here. You can go ahead and do it. And we've always approached it as this very open document where, you know, if you see improvements to it, make it better. So that mindset of how you can work with others and how you can delegate and how you can um, pass on information to them happened at the outset. What we've gotten a lot better at over the last few years in particular is hiring great people that are better than us. And, And when you have people like that, actually, you don't need to teach them anything. And so we've got people in the team now that I would never think about saying, oh, you should do this like this because they know way better than me. I might have an idea and I might say, hey, this could look good, you know, like this or this, you know, have we thought about doing it like that? But the onus and the pressure is less on me to come up with the ideas and less on me to, to, to know everybody's job inside out and more on how can we lead, you know, how can we do the strategic vision for the company and, and how can we lead the team and, and the company in the direction that we think will be will will provide the best results for all of us. Um, and some some steps along the way, I guess, that I've skipped over. Um, after I'd had the business for about five years or so, I, I moved to London for four years and I ran the business completely remotely. So I had a team and premises up in Edinburgh and, and I was in London. And actually during that time, I grew the team from three people to six people. And we moved premises a couple of times and doing all of that remotely, you know, I would come up once a, a month or whatever for a few days, doing all of that remotely via hangouts and, and all stuff totally normal, but you know, six, eight years ago, whenever it was, it was a little bit more unusual. And, but it really taught me the value of having how to work with people and how to, how to separate when you're physically somewhere else, your head and your, your brain and your mindset is physically somewhere else. And so you just don't get as involved as much. And it's quite nice. It, it allows you to have more overview and bigger picture, which is ultimately what your job is. Your job is to run the business, not necessarily to do something in the business. Fergus, would you also maybe able to quickly tell the audience what the business is actually about? Because I don't believe we have sure. told everybody yet. They're all now wondering, what is this magical business about? The business that I started uh, 16 years ago is in the Scottish Highland dress industry. So uh, we sell kilts and all the the pieces that go with that. So full outfits, you know, jackets and sporans and and all this kind of stuff. Um, Around five or six years ago, uh, just at the end of when we were living in London, um, then who just became my wife, Emma and I were talking about Edinburgh with the idea of, you know, buying a house and and having kids and things like that. And she was a buyer for... um, uh, a multinational and there were like no buying jobs in Edinburgh. And so we were talking about this idea that, you know, what would her dream job look like and maybe we could work together and maybe we could start something together. And and so around that time, we started a company called the Tartan Blanket Company. And really what's happened over the last five or six years is the Tartan Blanket Company has become our passion, like the company that we're most kind of interested in and invested in and the kilt business which is called kilt society now has 
sort of started to take a second a second seat and we've it's been it's been a, a nice journey learning to work with my wife and and learning to utilize both of our skill sets in in the best way because we're quite different we approach things quite differently we think quite differently and we have different skills and they're really very complementary which is which is good you know I'm interested and I'm good at the things that she's not interested in and I'm less interested and less good at the things that she's interested in and so it works really well so yeah our two businesses are Kilt Society and the Tartan Blanket Company they're both 100% online we did have a small shop space in our premises in Leith and Edinburgh uh, for the Tartan Blanket Company and we let people you know come and collect orders and things like that but predominantly we're an online business um, and largely particularly for the Tartan Blanket Company we're a direct consumer business where we design and have manufactured all of the products that we sell. So, so they're virtually all um, unique products to us. We have some add-on products like tea and coffee and hot chocolate and things like that, but um, all of the products are unique to us and we own the supply chain. So um, essentially we're building brands. Um, both of the businesses are um, brands and they kind of encapsulate everything that goes into that whole experience when you interact with them. And, and what's been really exciting in the last year or so is we've taken it kind of to the next level about what we want to achieve as people and and what's important to us. And so, um, for example, this year, we launched our program called Positive Impact Company, um, or, or our goal of becoming a positive impact company. And specifically, we launched a 1% for the people and 1% for the planet um, commitment. So we're going to donate 1% of revenue to, the, to causes related to people and 1% of uh, revenue to causes related to the planet, which is something started by the, the founder of Patagonia, 1% for the planet. We stepped it up by by doing 1% to the people as well. But I think that that really ticks a box inside of me. You know, like once you've been working for, for so long, you know, there's only so much that, that a milestone gets you. You know, you turn over 10,000 pounds and you go, wow, that's amazing. You turn over 100,000 pounds, you go, wow, that's amazing. But the fulfillment that that gives you kind of, doesn't always last whereas the idea that we can really have an impact in the world and that we can that we can be a positive impact company and we can have a positive impact on, on our people and our supply chain on our customers and our environment all of those things is really powerful so a small example i go to tesco or asda or whatever and and they say you know do you want a bag and i think oh no nah, probably not i'll just carry it you know i don't want to spend 5p don't want to waste a don't want to waste a plastic bag and i go home carrying you know 20 things that i'm trying to drop at work, if we change something in our supply chain and, and, you know, we take a product and instead of wrapping it, you know, one plastic bag per product, we change and we put two products in one plastic bag, we can save 20,000 bags a year, you know, and, and that's going to far outweigh all of my trips to the supermarket. And so it's nice to, to be able to think about things from those terms and, and really make the business a force for good in the world, which is nice. And this was the very reason I wanted to get yourself on the show, Fergus, because I feel the journey you've gone through, the business you've built and the life around that are just very inspiring. And just uh, one last question on that one, just so the audience has an idea of kind of like the skill you've built. If I may ask, like how many people do you employ between these two businesses and what's the rough turnover of them together? We kind of think of ourselves as one team. We just happen to have two businesses. So the company is called Eagle and Fox and we, there's about 20 of us um, at the moment. I think that, you know, we've been through a, a pretty turbulent couple of months with lockdown and with the anxiety, what that, that means. And our kilt business is, is struggling with kilts more, but our blanket business is, is doing really well. And it's really resonating with our customers. You know, we, we offer 
people an ability almost to send love or to send a hug to somebody that they care about. You know, we, we package it beautifully and, and a blanket is such a such an important item in our lives. And it's, you know, the more that we kind of get involved and, and we go deeper in this business, the more that we realize that, you know, for example, you're born in a blanket, you're born in a blanket, but usually it's the first thing you're put into when you're born. Um, you know, it, it's a symbol of warmth. It's a symbol of comfort. It's a symbol of security. Um, you know, when they, when you rescue people off a boat or after you finish a marathon or, you know, there's all these moments in lives where we get in our lives where we get wrapped in a blanket and we only use wool. We sustainably source our wool, which is really important. And so it's natural and, and wool itself has all these amazing properties. And so, um, sorry, I'm, I'm diverging <laughs> there into, but yeah, so the blanket business is doing really well. And, and particularly the last couple of months, we're having some crazy months, which is, is really nice to, to be on that journey and to, to be faced with the challenge of how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we handle the growth, which is you know, a good problem to have. Nice one. I think on that note, let's jump over to kind of like the last topic we wanted to cover. And it's actually financial independence meetup because correct me if I'm wrong, but roughly three years ago, you started one in Edinburgh, our local one, correct? Yeah. Well, what brought you to the whole idea of starting a meetup of people who like to talk about money? I like to talk about money. <laughs> so that's a good starting point. But also I was feeling, you know, I'd, I'd lived in London where there is a meetup about anything that you want any day of the week. And I'd been to all these, you know, really interesting events and met all these inspirational people. And, and it was really cool. And, and I came back up to Edinburgh and I was struggling to find that a little bit. And, you know, in, in took me a while to realize that the responsibility was on me. You know, there's no point in complaining that something doesn't exist, go create it. So um, I started the meetup and started meeting some people and, and, um, just I just wanted to meet other people in this space who feel comfortable talking about money. And so that kind of led me to meet up. But, you know, these things take time and they, they take traction and, you know, critical mass and, and that kind of thing. And so I think when when you started getting involved at, um, to co-organize, it was a really pivotal point. And I think that if you hadn't, the group probably would have died. And instead, you know, you came on with this enthusiasm and you really helped to, <laughs> to grow it. And, and, you know, our most successful meetups by far have been the ones that you've organized. And I think, you know, the, the lesson that I've learned there is it's easier sometimes doing things as a team than it is by yourself. You know, I started the business myself and, and I kind of always thought, well, you know, you can, you can do things yourself and, and, you know, working with you and this, working with my wife and in our other business some things can, can work so much better when you've got a team because everybody has different skills, you know? And actually, I'm not sure that I want to be the person that runs the meetup more than I just want to be at a meetup. And, and so that was kind of my motivation for, you know, I think some, what I mean to quantify that statement, qualify that statement, I think that um, some people are like really good at networking and good at organizing and good at hosting events. And I think that's not so much my skill set. I think I'm less good at that. I think you're better at that. Um, and so we complement each other quite well, which is good. I mean, you definitely gave it um, the kickstart to get it running and just to give uh, people an idea. I think our most successful meetup, we had 45 or 50 people. The Bosco are organized by Barney Widener from the Escape Artist and David Sawyer, a writer of Reset. But yeah, we had like 45 or 50 people coming through that evening, which was just nuts. Yeah, that's uh, great. On our regular evenings, um, you know, well, <laughs> when we were still allowed to meet up physically, I think we were easily hitting 20 people often, came over yeah. and, and had a chat. And even now during the online um, Zoom meetings we have been organizing over the last months, I, I think it varies, but it's anywhere from like, you know, 12-ish to like 16, 17 max or so. 
people that come yeah. in and I also like that amount, but I feel it works very well as a group and everybody knows each other. We've grown to become friends. Yeah, totally. And I think, and it, you know, it, all of these things are easier, the bigger the place that you are, right? You know, if you're in a city with 10 million people, for sure, there's a hundred other people that are into whatever crazy thing that you're into, but the smaller the town, the harder it can be to find those people. And Edinburgh is not tiny, you know, there's four or 500,000 people in Edinburgh, something like that, I think. Um, but, you know, it's finding those people and, and helping them understand that we're here and that we want to talk about those things because, you know, we're, you know, we advertise on meetup.com. And so we get people like that, which is, you know, we get people going on meetup.com. But I'm sure that there's lots of other people in Edinburgh that care about these things and just don't know that we exist. And so maybe that's kind of the project for the next year or two is how can we maybe reach a wider audience. But you're right. We've got a great core kind of um, collection of people that that come along and that you know, we sort of see on a monthly basis and interact with, which is really nice. Yeah, exactly. And the reason why I wanted to cover is because we always, from the podcast, we get many questions about, okay, where can I find meetups? How can I start one myself? How do I do this? Well, this is how we've done it. And yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. It takes some, you know, uh, time until you build up like a nice group to come together. But in any medium-sized city, I'm convinced you know, you need one or two individuals who are really into it. And from there, you can build it together. But yeah, it's finding those people, getting them together, using a platform like Facebook, like Meetup, like Eventbrite, probably not because I believe they often charge. Actually, no, I'm lying. That's not true. Like using any of these platforms to just build it out. So if anybody, you know, wants to start a Meetup themselves in a the local city, give a shout. I think we're both more than happy to have a chat on like how to do and how not to do it. In practical, totally. Uh, yeah, in a practical sense, but yeah, guys, come and uh, have a chat. But from there, I think the hard thing is. Sorry, just to jump in, I think the hard thing is, you know, the first year we only had two or three people at each meetup, and sometimes that's a struggle because you know it just takes a while. But not everybody comes every month, so somebody might come in month two, then in month six, then in month eight, and then you know somebody else comes in three, six, and nine, and then they all come in month twelve, and suddenly you've got ten people or fifteen people, and you're like, oh actually, this could work. You know, we're starting to gain steam. And so you just got to stick with it, bug at it, you know. True. And I mean, the evenings that you're sometimes sitting there yourself alone for an hour or so, you know, it feels a bit weird while you're just playing around with your phone. Uh, I've had a couple of those evenings, but then after an hour, I had one conversation where one of our locals, Jonathan, he came over and I was, you know, I was the only one at that point, but I had the most amazing conversation with him for like a couple of hours and very much enjoyed that. So, yeah. but sometimes also just like the one-on-one meetings are that make it amazing because our big yeah. group of 45 we had at some point, I was just running around and talking to everybody. Um, and the five minutes or so I had with everybody, you know, the chance of having a one-on-one chat was kind of gone. And it's also nice to see the mix because some individuals we've got coming over, they know far more than I do. They're very seasoned professionals, they own big businesses or 10 different properties and I've been able to learn, like, I genuinely think the hours I've spent at the meetups are probably the most profitable in my life because the things people have taught me at these meetups, either tax-wise, earning-wise, career-wise, have been extremely beneficial. I don't know how that uh, is for yourself, Fergus, but yeah, I've definitely experienced it like that. Yeah, 100%. And I was actually thinking the same thing just before you said it. it there's... Even in Edinburgh, there's such interesting people that are doing interesting things, you know, so people that have made, you know, loads of money in crypto or people that are hedge fund managers or people that invest only in, you know, whatever. And and so just 
talking to them and learning about what they do and why they do it. And I think, you know, the, the really nice thing about FIRE is that everybody is happy to share because nobody's competing with anybody else, right? We're all on this journey together. And that's really nice. It's just such a cooperative atmosphere and, and it's okay to talk about money. It's okay to talk about what you're doing and how well it's working and how much it costs you. And, you know, I think sometimes those conversations with people that aren't interested in that can be really difficult. And I think I've definitely offended people in the past because I've come in and wanted to talk about money and had strong opinions on X, Y, and Z and, and they've not been. And I, you know, I feel bad about that, but when you get other people that want to talk about it, it's amazing. And you just, you know, it's, yeah, it's great. I love it. Good stuff. So I would say from there, let's slowly round up the episode and jump over to our final quick fire round question stuff. So Fergus, just if anybody wants to get in touch with yourself, learn more about you, how can they get in touch? Sure. So our businesses are kiltsociety.com, tartanblanketco.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Fergie Tweets and on Instagram at Fergie Makes. And my personal website that I don't really do anything with is fer.gy. Coolio. And I can definitely recommend everybody have a chat with Fergus because you've inspired me and I've definitely learned a lot from yourself over the last years. And then the last two questions to test yourself uh, to finish up. So Fergus, if there's any resource you would recommend people to check out in terms of book, blog, podcast, article even, what would it be? It's a tough, tough question because there's a lot of different things that I enjoy for, for different reasons. So I'll maybe give a couple if that's okay. Um, more of them are related to business than fire. But the how I built this podcast, I really like. I really like hearing about stories of how different people have built different businesses. I find that really inspiring. Um, the person that I'm most admiring and listening to at the moment in terms of leadership, and it can be attributed to kind of wider life, is Simon Sinek. Um, from a fire point of view, I really like, I listened to a podcast episode with an interview um, of Ramit Sethi, and I really liked his approach to fire because he was kind of talking about like, forget the $3 questions, focus on the $30,000 or the $3 million questions. You know, I think some people in fire can, can, can feel like, oh, I need to penny pinch. I need to voucher save and all the rest of it. And he's like, forget all that. And he also says, spend on things that you really care about and don't spend on things you don't. And that empowerment of feeling like, oh, you know what? I can buy this expensive thing just because I like it, which I think somehow goes against, you know, the kind of fire principles in some way um, or the kind of common fire principles. That was really nice and really empowering to read. So, yeah. He's got a book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Oh, I will. I mean, I, actually, I've read the executive summary of the book, I believe. So I've obviously, we'll link it in the show notes. And then the last question of today, what is the number one action world tip you would recommend people to check out on the Petify? can be anything from little cool, funny calculator to something you've heard on the meetups. Yeah, so probably similar to the Ramit Sethi approach, focus on the bigger picture stuff rather than the smaller picture stuff. You know, if you can go out and get a £10,000 a year pay rise, that's going to have much more impact than you, know, you say 2% off washing liquid or something like that. So yeah, focus on the bigger picture and more actionable. When you get that pay rise, don't increase your spending. Cool, perfect. Fergus, thank you so much for your wisdom and thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you, Alvar. It's been a really nice chat. And, and I also find the way that you live your life and your story and your journey really inspiring. And obviously we're at different stages in terms of kids and, and whatnot, but you know, the, the, the options and the opportunities that you've got ahead of you and that, you, that, you're, that you're also doing at the moment are, yeah, it's, I like to hear about them. Cool. And let's hope next time we can meet over a beer somewhere in the park physically. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Guys, thank you so much for listening and bye-bye. 
Hey Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project, to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.